Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Irish Times Business Podcast. Brought to you by Ryanair Business Plus. Business made simple. It's September 17th. I'm Tom Lyons and you're very welcome to this week's edition of the Irish Times Business and Technology Podcast. Later in the programme, I'll be joined by the Irish Times Economics Editor, Arthur Beasley, to discuss the building pressure on Ireland's corporate tax regime. But right now in studio, I have Irish Times technology experts Davin O'Dwyer and Carlin Lillington to discuss does the media love Apple too much? as well as look at Apple's new watch and the launch of a new U2 album on iTunes. Uh, Carlin, I'll start with you. Uh, your recent column was about how a journalist's job is not to be a fan. Uh, why did you decide to write this column uh, in the week that uh, Apple launched their latest uh, range of revolutionary new projects? I'd say that's almost, if anybody watched the coverage that came out of it um, both at the time and, and in the aftermath, it probably is self-explanatory, but um, not not least because we had um, RTE, for example, highlighted the fact of the that, that Apple had launched two new phones in a main news bulletin at, at 6 p.m. or whatever. And I thought, you know, we didn't hear when Samsung launched phones. It's, you know, any kind of a launch has now become general news in a way that wouldn't happen with other technology companies, which... Um, for me, raises issues about the the, the um, a certain level of perhaps hysteria that now surrounds certain product launches. And do you think that the boundary between journalism and fandom is sometimes crossed, or I think it is often crossed, but that's partly I think because perhaps in, in in part because of the area, because it's an exciting area with a lot of exciting products and things that are cool, and a lot of the people that write about the area write about it because they think it's cool and it, it, interestingly. In the wake of writing that column, I, there was a lot of um, feedback from people who raised the same issue in sports journalism. And a lot of the um, re- the tweets about that column that I, that I was following said, you know, this really applies across a lot of different areas. So it's it's clearly not just confined to technology, but, but Apple probably highlights um, perhaps a growing concern. And Davin, uh, you were over there uh, mm. for the launch, uh, surrounded by journalists. Uh, were you swept away by the hype? Uh, no, con- well, contrary to the, uh, it was a, it was a 
fantastic show the theatrical qualities that Apple have are so well versed in as I, I wrote a, a kind of on uh, on this topic uh, the the their PR mastery and the, the way they generate the hype uh, in, in Saturday's newspaper um, is is really masterful and it puts uh, it, it, it's definitely an area where there is uh, broad daylight between them and their rivals and um, their use of secrecy the the way they hype up this uh, the, these events they ensure that uh, news bulletins all over the world will be featuring it as as an event and they have a guest list it, uh, it's, it's like the Oscars or the MTV Awards so you have the likes of Gwen Stefani and Will I Am it's far more than just Stephen here or new yeah. Stephen Fry here or new products um, they are very very well versed in how to uh, how to uh, what what an event is that captures the imagination it's a zeitgeist isn't it mm, I, th- I mm. mean they, they they capture that in the launches although one of the things I thought was interesting is the hype around Steve Jobs giving keynotes was I mean obviously it was a, a major point discussed endlessly Mm. when he passed away Um, he he was the one who was the master at doing this it amazed me that there was this much but it it amazed me that that this particular launch turned into such an event when it was Tim Cook doing the launch and that really at heart it was just upgrades on phones you know and a watch which already exists out in the space and it's not that the aftermath, I mean, because I do think you can have um, great excitement in the aftermath of the launch. It was the hype in advance of it and the fact that they could get such a turnout, as you describe, of mm. celebrities for something that at the end of the day we didn't really learn a whole lot about. You know, it's a product that's not going to be out for months and months. Mm. Very mm. few tech specs were released. We don't really know how these things are going to work or if they will work. Mm. And and it was Tim Cook launching it who isn't. You know, Tim Cook's a good CEO, but I'd, but he's not a Steve Jobs. Yeah, I think in terms of the uh, the issue of the production from a kind of a theatre review perspective, um, uh, this was probably Tim Cook's most polished performance. Uh, there was an interesting, Dan Fromer at Quartz had an interesting breakdown of the, the previous keynotes. Um, and uh, he normally actually doesn't spend that much time on stage because he's a, a quite a stiff performer, particularly in comparison with Steve Jobs. Uh, but uh, uh, he's obviously been putting in the practice uh, with the uh, the acting class. And uh, uh, and and played a much bigger part in this in this uh, in this keynote. Uh, the you know, as to the, the actual kind of behaviour of the the press in the room, uh, we were kind of corralled at the at the back of the of the theatre. It's a very uh, substantial theatre, um, and uh, there was uh, there was no kind of inappropriate hooting or hollering uh, or standing ovations. Um, uh, I guess even if some had wanted to, uh, everybody had laptops on their laps, which would have prevented that even if they were so inclined. Um, but the 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 larger point I think about how the uh, the, the, the fascination um, uh, with Apple, uh, how general that is, and how it does kind of translate uh, into, uh, I mean, for instance, the, the coverage that we afforded, including your column on Apple last week, was among the best read content uh, here. There, there's a, a genuine uh, fascination with, with Apple that goes beyond uh, a mere uh, company that releases devices. It, it's almost kind of a, um, a, a kind of a Willy Wonka style uh, mystique that hangs over them, I think. And do you think that's fair, Carlin? Uh, like, I, I notice, like, whenever we, we've got Apple in a headline, it nearly always hits the top five most read. When we've got Samsung, and, and it doesn't quite get there. Yeah, well, it, it isn't. It isn't an. an uh, well, different companies have been in that role in the past. For those of us who are, are slightly older than <laughs> both of you, but at the um, Windows ninety five launch, for example, with Microsoft was was 
ultra hyped mm. and and had huge coverage and you know, and Bill Gates came out here I think in, it was actually in 1996 when they actually came to Ireland to launch it but it was a it was a very slow release but 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 there was a you know bring in all the um, heads of the tech companies and uh, you know the big crowd of journalists and filled the RDS if I remember for that that mm. particular launch but uh, but I worked way back around two. 2000 late 90s I was writing for salon.com or salon.com is when it was when it first started out and one of my editors there said if you write anything on he says the three big topics that guarantee loads of reads are Apple Microsoft and open source software so <laughs> so things haven't changed all that much yeah, although yeah, I, yeah. I wouldn't say Microsoft draws quite the same amount of mm. interest maybe it's Google and Google Glass. Yeah. And uh, Davin, now that the theatrics are over uh, and you've had a bit more time to think about it, mm. I mean, like, how impressive were the products that they actually launched? Um, you uh, know? The phones are, as, as Karen says, they're, they're new phones. They're exquisitely engineered, beautifully finished. You know, uh, they are, you know, very probably the, the, the you know, the, the best designed uh, phones available. But they are just upgrades on on the phones they're bigger than the previous uh, than the previous versions um, and no real surprise there and in that regard i think it is interesting that apple let themselves get outflanked uh, if you will by samsung in particular on this size uh, there was uh, a lot of um, uh, kind of sneering um, uh, by Steve Jobs at the size of these things, but also from the Apple community. Yet, well, these his era was things were getting smaller, like mm, the iPod, mm. and suddenly, yeah, he, he had thought things. Who wants a large phone? And mm, it turned mm. out people did eventually yeah, want yeah. a large. Well, of course, phone. when the original iPhone came out, it was really big compared to the Nokia's and so on. That were so people were like, "Well, that's about as big as I'd want to want to carry," and it has actually kind of crept. Yeah, do you up really want to stand and hold yeah. this stupid-looking rectangle next to your ear? And it yeah, turned yeah. out, well, millions. <laughs> Lots, people lots, did, of, lots of people you know? do, and even bigger. Uh, so the phones, uh, you know, I think I think that, that aspect of the of the larger phones, and I think the five point five inch will sell surprisingly well. I think that will actually end up being a kind of a primary computing device for a lot of people who aren't interested in also getting a tablet. Um, uh, certainly, I think it looks goofy. Uh, certainly, you're not going to hold it up to the side of your head, but that's not really how people use these phones anymore. Anymore, anyway. Earphones, probably a lot of yeah, them. Exactly. Will be using, yeah, exactly. Um, the the Apple Watch is. Fascinating, I think. Uh, as Karen pointed out, the the uh, what they revealed is uh, essentially it's a it's a demo of a, of a product that's still six months uh, off from release. And um, the reason I suspect the battery life wasn't revealed is a because the battery life they're currently getting is probably not acceptable. Yeah. Um, and, and 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 B. But the, you could the, say it's still history with the iPhone. Uh, as yeah, well, yeah, indeed. After yeah, several yeah, iterations. yeah. Um, uh, but also. <laughs> You know, the software is probably not finished. You know, there's probably a lot of uh, elements that mean that the battery life uh, will be quite different in six months' time. I do think it does remind me of the original iPad, uh, which was a a, a lovely device, but was quite big and quite heavy. And uh, I I skipped the original iPad. I just figured, you know what, it's going to get better next year. And that's Mm. exactly what happened. Mm. I suspect the version 2 of the Apple Watch is going to be... a much better battery life and it won't be quite as thick as, as these watches go it's not terribly thick but uh, it's a noticeable bulge on the wrist um, uh, and I do think the smartwatch space is is one of these uh, um, it, the wrist is perfect real estate for devices that do things that things like a, a phone can't do um, but we're not 
to, to reach the point where it can do all these things, you need to have millions of them out there and you need to have developers using the APIs to do interesting things with them. And I think only Apple is really in the position to, just by dint of the fact that it's Apple, because it has so many f- re- uh, diehard fans who will buy anything that Apple releases, uh, are in a position to kind of leverage that popularity to get millions of Apple Watches out there with lots of developers mm-hmm. then coming up with interesting applications. And I think in three or four years, the notion of a, of, a, of a watch computer device as acting as a kind of a magic wand almost uh, for interacting with other uh, smart thermostats or door locks or whatever around your house will seem really obvious. Uh, at the moment, it, it kind of seems like a slightly strange concept, but uh, I don't think it'll actually be that long coming but until that, that day that What day do you think, Carlin? I mean, do you think it's fair? Like, I mean, we, we didn't really find that much about the nuts and bolts of, of the watch, which no. should have been the most exciting thing. And in, in that... Um, other than YouTube's and I album. Said, <laughs> and, I, and, and I raised the question, just as an aside, of whether Jobs would ever have launched this at this particular point. But, I mean, clearly it was good that Apple did launch it because it got massive press coverage and, and interest regardless of whether there were tech specs. Um, David Pogue, who's a quite prominent writer in technology, got a bit of sort of, you know, behind the curtain access to mm. it and, and gave a few more tech specs. But when even somebody like that, who has a bit more privileged access, is saying, well, you know, I got a little more, and, but not very much, you know, you're still left kind of wondering, is it, is it just a pretty mock-up and what will it actually do? I suspect that part of the issues maybe relate to privacy as well and managing data. Mm. I mean, Apple is gotten a bit of a slap over the iCloud uh, leaks and the insecurity. You know, if you're talking about a lot of really personal information, measuring heartbeat and health statistics and all this kind of stuff that's all contained on your watch or access to house, your house, or maybe, you know, that's the key for your car is Mm -hmm. now held. I mean, there's a a lot of personal stuff on there as well. And and, and so they'd need to be approaching, um, approaching that fairly carefully. But wearables is certainly seems to be where a future market is mm. it'll and i do th- agree that apple has because they already have this ecosystem where they offer there's itunes is there and they've got loads of developers out third party developers doing stuff and the iphone is there you know watch this space but right now you know i think who's it going to appeal to mm. it's probably somebody I would say the mid-30s to mid-50s kind of age range of people mm. who have enough money to buy of what looks to be a quite expensive device that you have to be an iPhone user or buy an iPhone to use it. If you don't, if you're not already an iPhone user, you're looking at a layout of a thousand um, dollars or so just mm. to, to get your foot in the door. You know, it's a so there's there's a lot of issues about you know what do you want this additional functionality? Some of the people that I've talked to are, to who are tech tech crowd who could afford this sort of say there was nothing there that would interest me right now but mm. but there may be plenty of things that interest you I think that's later exactly on it. Uh, uh, um, I, uh, first about the, uh, the you know issuing a, a product or showing off a product I think the only jobs example really was the original uh, iPhone uh, yeah. which had uh, you know the the excuse uh, that he used was we need to get um, uh, you know uh, approval for the radios and so on so uh, we have to release it you know we have to let the world know that it exists now well there was a great piece in the New York Times last year by uh, featuring interviews with various people who were involved with the actual release of that and the that demo barely worked they were, it was held together with you know the software equivalent of duct tape and uh, it was by the skin of their teeth that the thing didn't collapse in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the, you know that was still six months away from uh, from being ready for uh, for sale as well. 
Um, uh, as for the the appeal, I think it was interesting that the the launch. There were a lot of prominent fashion uh, journalists and fashion people there, uh, and the hiring of Mark Newson, uh, the uh, you know, kind of highly regarded designer, um, uh, is uh, and he's, he's previously had a lot of experience designing watches. Um, they're absolutely targeting this for a kind of a, a fashion area. So the $349 entry price is going to be for your bargain basement um, sports the edition. Gold. The gold the, one. The gold one. Speculation of the price the for the gold one. It's yeah. solid aging carat gold. And speculation is the price might go up to 10000 or $5,000. And so it'll be like your it'll be like your Rolex for geeks mm, kind exactly, of thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, if yeah, you're... It'll be appealing to the Middle East and Asia. And yeah. uh, Carlin, this closed ecosystem where everything, like to even get into the Apple game, as you said there, costs a thousand dollars. Aren't they really missing out on Africa and India and Asia and places where, you know, people don't have a thousand dollars to spend, but they might like to spend a hundred or two hundred dollars. Well, you could argue that the last iPhone release was something that would approach a, a, a market that, um, give an easier entry to a market that wasn't being exploited, shall we say. But I mean, you're still talking about, you know, miniaturized computer. This isn't, it isn't like, it isn't quite the same as a mobile phone. And and I think in those developing world markets, there's lots of, I mean, mobile phones have huge penetration there and are used for quite complex things and have helped to start to transform economies, mm. um, um, starting, you know, from the bottom up in a really quite interesting um, democratic, um, egalitarian way. And I think, you, you know, why do, why do you need a smartphone? phone right now in in if that's what you're using but the you know the closed ecosystem you know at the other end say for for our market has has advantages as well you know one of the great problems with android which is the very open system and um you know anyone can pile in and develop and but you know, then you have security issues you have a lot less control you have these um open unsupervised markets for apps that have no you know in places like China or Russia that have nobody checking the quality and they they're, they're loaded with malware and you know there's these ongoing issues um, you can uh, Apple right now has the profile and the ability to just create that closed ecosystem manage it the way it wants it has a, you know this that this is where jobs was brilliant and people said you know like I, who thought iTunes you know iTunes was the music platform jobs finally cracked the digital music corner the paid for digital music corner with iTunes and loads of us have downloaded stuff on I mean, mm. on iTunes now um, but what iTunes has created is a huge bank of of people with their credit cards stored with Apple and stuff. Mm. You know, this is the kind of stuff you. We tend to look at the near end, and a lot of these people developing these systems are looking much further out. We, we, Google does it. You know that we have the other um, smartphone developers now are clearly looking at their own closed ecosystems. You know, Samsung would like to do an iTunes like universe. Mm. Android is working in that direction. Microsoft now is, and phone develop. It's interesting talking to phone developers where you know they they that's what they see happening. And for the enterprise market, which a lot of these places also want to get into, you need something that's quite secure and closed. And uh, the, 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 the music part of it, uh, which was U2 launching mm. a new album, uh, 
how big a deal was that? I mean, do you think that that's something that we're going to see more of, or was this just a one-off thing which tied in with all of the the rest of the hype? Given 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 the uh, the uh, uh, the backlash, I suspect there might not be too many more uh, forcing albums down into people's music uh, music collections from now on. Although uh, the statistic was they'd sold three or four hundred million in back catalog on the basis of that free in in the days following that launch. Yeah, so for yeah. from a monetary point of view, it seems to have worked out pretty yeah, well for yeah, you too. Even, uh, they, um, it, it, it was a peculiar coda to the entire, uh, to what had been a, 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 an impressive uh, launch event. It was because uh, uh, he'd already said one more thing. Uh, Tim Cook had already so said, "Here's one more one, thing. Here's one the watch." Thing. And then, he, oh yeah, and here's one, here's another thing. And uh, and it, their um, appearance had the been heavily rumored. Uh, oh yeah, um, uh, and and then there was that very awkward banter between Cook and Bono, which um, looked badly rehearsed it was like kind of a, a kid's panto or something like that and uh, and then they played the song which I, I must say I'm not the biggest U2 fan but a very catchy song uh, and, and then the album gets forced out the backlash has been really interesting I think because it's easy to say well just don't listen to it if you don't want it or don't download it or whatever um, uh, but I think it's it's a violation of trust basically that one's own music collection is one's own music collection and and in this instance apple have uh, compromised that that sense of trust by saying point, actually yeah. we're going to we're going to throw we can put music into your collection whether you want it or not uh, it, it's a free gift but you're having it um, and that's uh, that's i think the the essence of a lot of the backlash do you think that carlin it's it's the concept is wrong or do you think it's like say they put out the joshua tree rather than this album based on 1970s yeah. dublin well if it w- would I, it be all different yeah, well, it's interesting. I was just sitting talking about this with a couple of people from um, who do communications within a, a different large technology company, and we were just discussing the idea of the the brand management around you two. Uh, and I, I, I think if I, you know, on the one hand, if I were advising you too, I would have said this is not the time to do this, or to do it in a more controlled way. Like I would have said to Apple, I think the whole thing to you too. I think the thing would have worked better if the download was available for you to make the choice mm, to download mm. it, but was made free to every person who bought a new version of the iPhone. The because then, it, and because if you had the new device so and you got it, and it was yeah. preloaded on the device or something, that's quite a different thing. And you might think that's really cool. And it also puts a bit higher value on it mm. as well. And, you know, and it, it was a big risk, I think, for you too, to look like, you know, no one else wants our album, so we'll give it away for free, even though the it was obviously paid for. And I mean, and to be fair to you too, they have a long-standing relationship with Apple that goes back to iTunes launch, I think, was the first time yeah, they were Bono on stage. Or Steve Jobs' Manhattan apartment many years ago. Yeah, that, could, that could well be. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there was, a, there's a, there was an existing relationship there, but I... But I th- <sighs> It, it clearly worked in that they've they've made money off of back catalog as well. But yeah. I thought if I were if I were looking just at brand management, I would have said you know this needs this needs to be a bit more controlled. That that's and and I agree that the weird thing is suddenly this thing is in your music collection mm. as opposed to being, uh, you know I thought oh well, that's great I guess I'll go download it because I'd be interested in hearing it. But then you find oh it's actually already in your music and so then you have to actively go delete it, which is which is strange. Yeah. And there was. A, a, a tweet from God. God does have a. a I believe yeah, it's an unverified. It is an unverified Twitter account. <laughs> but, the blue tick, yes, yeah. but had a, there was a tweet where in which God said, "I you know I've I finally figured out how to delete that damn U2 album yeah, from, yeah, from yeah. free from Apple." So even God had problems. And we'll leave it there at that point. Uh, thanks for coming on the program, uh, Davin O'Dwyer and Carlin Lillington of the Irish Times. 
From just $69.99 one way, new Ryanair Business Plus gives you premium seating, a flexible ticket, security fast track, a checked bag, but no business class curtain. Ryanair. Business made simple. Subject to availability. See Ryanair.com for more details. I'm now joined in studio by uh, economics editor Arthur Beasley to discuss uh, the, the growing pressure on Ireland's corporate tax regime. This week, the big story is the OECD. Uh, what, what are they saying exactly and uh, how does this impact Ireland? Well, let, let's move back a little bit. Um, the, OECD, the OECD last year was asked by the leaders of the G8 countries who met at a big summit in County Fermanagh at Loch Erne to examine policies around base erosion and profit shifting. These are essentially tax strategies used by big multinationals to minimise the amount of tax that they pay on their profits. And the concern that the OECD has is that uh, a particular strategy known as the double Irish, which plays on the difference between Irish law and law elsewhere, uh, is essentially being used here uh, by certain companies to uh, bring their the amount of tax that they pay to a very, very, very minimum. And the OECD in Paris yesterday, when it published a first range of proposals around a global overhaul of corporate tax uh, was very much in a mode of encouraging the Irish government to move ahead before other countries and scrap the double Irish. And what's been the reaction of the Irish government in the Irish state? Well, I think there is a big debate ongoing. I think there are some in government circles, certainly, who would feel that, look, at the the time for strategies such as the double Irish is running out and that it would be as well for the government to move uh, pretty quickly and announce that this particular scheme uh, or the, the trappings around it will be scrapped. Uh, and there is a feeling in some quarters, certainly, that if the government does that pretty promptly, well, then they would get better terms for the gradual winding down of such a scheme. However, uh, before g- proceeding with any particular decision, the Department of Finance had an open consultation with uh, all stakeholders throughout the summer, and certainly material that I've seen and reported upon would suggest that there's quite a degree of resistance in the business community uh, to any unilateral move by the government. The position uh, at the moment is that the government has not decided uh, as to whether it will move unilaterally or not. Uh, the sense is that uh, that a decision will ultimately be taken before the budget. Michael Noonan, the finance minister, suggested as far back as May that he may introduce some uh, corporate tax measures on budget day. And Arthur, I mean, there's some headlines today suggesting, uh, you know, that there's thousands of jobs at risk or that we might we might miss out on key uh, FDI investments. Uh, how realistic do you think that is? Um, I, I, I don't see that uh, we're in that type of space at this point. Uh, you've got to realise that the uh, mandate given to the OECD came uh, from the very top of, if you like, of the kind of the political leadership at, at the level of the world. This was a direction to the OECD from the group of eight, as it was then. Uh, it's now the G7 because Vladimir Putin was kicked out as a result of the uh, incursions into, into Ukraine. But the political momentum... Uh, behind the push to extract more tax from global uh, corporations uh, has uh, built up to quite a substantial degree in recent years. And there is a feeling 
that uh, really that the that the time is running out for this kind of a very very aggressive avoidance, uh, and that therefore that uh, inter- some of the things that have been introduced by the by successive Irish governments are going to uh, end uh, end up on the scrap heap. But the point is made that uh, other countries which have similar. Uh, schemes in their tax law, such as the Netherlands and Luxembourg, they are going to have to move as well. And what can the OECD to use to make us do things if there is resistance or if the government decides to drag their feet? Well, uh, what we have uh, this week uh, is the first half, if you like, the first phase of the uh, OECD plan to overhaul the entire sector. These proposals are not binding on the members of the OECD. However, the OECD said yesterday that it was going to call a meeting of all its members next January with a view to uh, agreeing a mandate to negotiate a multilateral plan, and that is something which would be binding on all members of the OECD. Now, there is a question around political will. It's all very well for senior top people in the OECD in Paris to send out proposals, but it's only if there is political will, if there's political buy-in at the very high level, that uh, you will get execution down the line. But certainly if we are in the realm of there being a multilateral plan, a binding plan, one which is going to change the nature of bilateral tax treaties between uh, major major countries in the world, well then uh, it seems to me that uh, there is going to be uh, movement in this space. Now, there is another uh, question, however, and that is that, yes, there was a, a lot of moment uh, behind this particular uh, this particular issue, certainly at the time of the Locker and Summit, but the world has changed since then, and geopolitical priorities, if you like, have changed somewhat. Uh, we now have the Ukrainian business, you have ISIS in Iraq, and uh, you know it may be that global leaders uh, find their attention uh, turned in another direction. And Arthur, even if they come along and they shut down all these loopholes, surely there'll be cleverer accountants within the OECD who will just come up with another set of loopholes uh, to replace the old ones. And that'll be the next race will be to come up with new ways around things. Well, that's the way uh, that, that's the way things have, ha, have always worked, that uh, no sooner is one particular advantage closed off in one country uh, than the uh, accountants and tax lawyers and very, very clever people who conjure up these things, uh, they essentially get to work on doing something else. Now, it was for that reason that it was the uh, OECD which was charged with developing this plan which would bring in, if you like, the entire global community to make it more difficult for accountants and lawyers to come up with these very, very innovative and exotic schemes which help companies to minimise their tax. But uh, that is only going to work if all countries, or or at least if all of the major countries, uh, move, uh, if you like, as one in order to make it, uh, to close off the potential for companies to go uh, hunting for advantage as between the different tax regimes in place in different countries. And do we know anything from specific multinationals based in Ireland where they're saying either they're for or against these changes? Uh, The sense I have is that uh, there are mixed views 
in the business community. Uh, clearly, uh, you know, Ireland is a major centre for multinational investment. This has been a great success story for the uh, Irish economy over the years. I think in some quarters of the uh, business community there is a sense, look at uh, this issue has become particularly hot. Uh, there was a lot of noise in the American Congress last year around Apple's arrangements. The state aid investigation now underway in Brussels into Apple. Similarly, the uh, Google has come under pressure over its de- Deployment of the double Irish scheme. I think there are some companies out there who'd be just as glad to find these things closed off because every time the issue is mentioned, their name comes up in headlines. I think, however, that there are other companies uh, who are not in the headlines but who have similar strategies in place uh, who are in a mode in which they would prefer to see uh, what's going on elsewhere in Europe and what's going on elsewhere in the world before the Irish government jumps. And can some of these countries maybe switch out entirely outside the OECD or try and uh, develop arrangements, Arthur, where, you know, where they're out of the spotlight and they're doing things in far-flung islands or in some, or some big economies too? Well, um, I mean, uh, the, the point was often made in the Irish context that, uh, look at, you know, it's not Ireland's fault that Ireland has uh, the particular tax law that we have and that, you know, if the American politicians want to minimise the scope for American corporations to uh, play off the tax law in Ireland and the Bahamas, well, then it behoves American politicians to act. Um, I think the, the, the general idea here is that you have essentially political consensus at the global level that more needs to be done. And we've got to remember that this follows on massive uh, public bailouts of the banking system at the height of the financial crisis. We've had all of these stories over the years about uh, big-name brands uh, paying very, very little tax. And the, the sense has been that uh, essentially that someone must start sh- shout stop and that more must be done to prize more uh, tax out of these companies. But I use the word prize uh, very carefully because uh, no one likes paying tax and where companies have battalions of lawyers and accountants engaged to minimise tax, uh, I think it's a fair bet uh, that they will do uh, all in their power to uh, make sure that they are not uh, taking so big a hit as many would like them to. And what sort of time frame are we, are we looking at, Arthur, before we see something which is actually going to impact uh, multinationals based in Ireland? Well, I think the, I mean, uh, this OECD process or this OECD review uh, is ongoing for the last year. What we have this week is the first uh, half of the formal proposals. There'll be another swathe of proposals uh, this time next year. Uh, what was released in Paris yesterday will be discussed at a meeting of finance ministers of the G20 group in Australia. More important, however, I think, is the whole idea that the com- uh, countries of the OECD and indeed of the G20 will come together in January with a view to uh, deciding how they're going to develop some kind of a plan that would be binding on all of them. No one suggests that tax havens in the Bahamas and the like are going to be closed down uh, as a result of this. Uh, however, if uh, countries which do, uh, which are not in the nature of offshore havens, uh, have uh, similar restrictions on 
the use of these havens, well then the feel, the hope is, the feeling is, that it's going to be more difficult for the companies that do uh, shift money as between Ireland, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, all these other countries and tax havens, that that's going to become more difficult and that ultimately uh, the exchequers or the, 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 the tax man uh, in, uh, in, in countries in Europe and beyond uh, will receive ultimately more from companies in the nature of tax and their profits. And finally, Arthur, uh, you're the newly appointed economics editor with the Irish Times. How are you finding the transition from politics to economics? Uh, well, I think there's, a, uh, there's, there's always a, a fair degree of uh, politics and economics and there's always a fair degree of economics in politics. Um, so uh, it's uh, certainly very, very interesting. Arthur, uh, thanks for coming on the programme and thank you for listening to the Irish Times Business and Technology Podcast. I'm Tom Lyons. Uh, My sound engineer was JJ Vernon. Research was by Declan Conlon and the show was produced by Sinead O'Shea. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 